Hello, and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grow. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Beautiful Business Podcast. My name is Ewan Sai, and in this episode, I got the chance to speak with Tom Hardcastle. Tom is a senior partner at the Social Enterprise 90, who are innovation experts in the insurance sector. Their clients include Bupa, Direct Line, Generali, Lloyds, and Zurich. 90% of their distributable profits go to charity. Tom has a strong background in financial services, fulfilling strategy, change, operational, and PL roles, as well as playing a leading role in the transformation of co-op insurance as part of the executive team. He holds a master's from the University of St. Andrews and an MBA from Manchester Business School. Ninety believe insurance is fundamentally a force for social good. They also believe in the power of innovation and customer-centered change. Their vision is to help insurers innovate and thrive so that they are well-equipped to serve and stabilize a fast-changing world. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So running any business in this day and age, one of the biggest challenges is finding and attracting talent. That challenge is as old as the hills. And with 90 being built around this concept of donating to charity, 90% of distributable and profit, to me, it really sets out that stall of what culture to expect, certainly from outside looking in. I'm interested to know, there's a couple of things in this question really. What do you do to make sure that you and the team live to those values? And I think you mentioned you've got your ethics board as well, so it'd be good to explore that a little bit more. But the other part, I think, is just understanding what checks and balances do you have to have in place to keep this culture of line, to try and keep the behaviours um, aligned within the team? Yeah. So about a year or two years ago, there was some work done by the team as it existed at that point. To actually codify the culture. We're boutique, we're still growing. So it's perhaps something that was quite unusual for an organization that size to do. But in that, we put together a set of five values, which include others first, do the right thing, smile and laugh often, but also some color and context to what 90 was about. And also, what good looks like within the organization and what to expect. That's been a great way of if you like writing it down and codifying it. So that gives everyone a common view of what it is. We keep the cohesion as a team. We have weekly stand-ups at a company level as well as different specific team stand-ups. And each week we encourage each colleague to nominate another colleague for a shout-out aligned with one of the values. That way we keep the values current, but we also then bring recent examples you know, within the week examples of, of, of what colleagues may have uh, done. So. That's a nice and relatively easy way to keep that moving. We also have team days. So every couple of months, we'll come together and have team planning days. They are totally focused on us internally as a team. There are client project activities on those days. There are conversations about clients and business development. Where the links needed to be made, it is, but it's actually all about internal team, building that cohesion, building those relationships and getting cross and collaborative working across the different business units within 90s. There's been a real conscious prioritization on that, particularly since pandemic and increasing remote working so that when we do come together, there's real intentionality behind it. And we're very much focusing on the team for that. And so that, that I think gives the team a backdrop as to what we're about, what to expect and how our, our values work. What we've also recently done, because we've had quite an influx of, of new people as well, 
is have a particular intervention for line managers to talk about the do's and don'ts of line management and also 90 approaches to particular scenarios as they come up. Because we need to get the balance in the sense that we want it to be a fun and energizing place to work, but we also need to be able to deal with some of the challenges that may arise from time to time. And so articulating a 90 way of doing things plays out through that. Where we have particular situations or challenges, either with colleagues or clients that we as a management team need to deal with, is quite rare, this, because normally our, our team's very much an empowered team and can do. But where there are particularly tricky challenges, then that's where we both engage the management team, but it's also where the, we can reach out to the ethics board as well. We have different expertise around that table from a finance, HR, and other perspective. And so if we are facing scenarios where there are some different options, we can always put our recommended option, but we can always get a view from that ethics board on them. And in that way, feel we are operating in a live way with that ethics board, as well as that formal end of year review that we do with them each year. So a number of different interventions to keep the culture uh, alive. And I think the bottom line is we say, well, this is the value set of 90, but we actually want each of the team to be the best that they can with their own personality and their own style. So what I quite like is that we're not a cheap dip type organization in that sense. We want the personalities to thrive. And if you like, there isn't one flavor of 90. Everyone's got their own personal flavor. Nice. I like the way that you built in almost like the celebration of your values into the day-to-day regular, I don't want to say routine, but it just feels like it's normal. One of the favorite phrases I was taught when I was learning to manage a team was don't always catch people doing things wrong catch people doing things right. Things like living to your values and sharing others or promoting others before yourself and things like this. It's just really nice to make that normal. And we talk about some of the interviews that we've done for Beautiful Business around businesses always traditionally reported on things like market share, on profit, on margin, on things like this. And to start applying KPIs to your societal impact, to how you're reducing your carbon footprint, so on and so forth. So it's still doing the things that we're used to doing but it's just widening that metric out. And I think that can apply in culture as well. You know, so not just looking at how productive you've been, how many hours have you done, how many deals have you closed, but also looking at, as you say, how often have you celebrated your colleagues? How often have you done something which really does showcase our values and what we're about mm. as an organization? Because again, you, you'll have experienced this as you've grown your teams, but the culture of an organization is under attack all of the time. A, a new client is on the table. There's a big pile of money on the table. Do you take it? but compromise on some of your values because they're asking you to work in this particular space or in a particular way. And your culture is affected by the people that you bring through as well. So having these strategies, these tactics, these techniques and how you bring out those key values is really interesting. And it's really interesting to see how that comes through. And I love the team days as well. I think it's so easy for organizations to talk about the operational stuff in these team get-togethers and these away days or whatever you want to call them. You end up just talking about the work rather than talking about the business, which I guess is where the value really comes from from these sorts of days. Yeah, absolutely. So it is, and the, yeah, I appreciate it. I think all of the team does that the focus and attention is on us collectively because we need to be in a strong place and we need to have cohesion in order to deliver the best results for clients and then in order to be able to generate those profits. So we always need to start with ourselves and make sure that's in a strong place. As I say, we've had quite a number of new joiners this year and we wanted to make sure absolutely they bring their personality, but they also get a sense that this is what 90 is about so they can feel very much a part of it. So it's very intentional and it, those days are the ones where we do prioritize ourselves and there are the other days of the week to prioritize the client. Totally. 
I love the 90 way of doing things. This roadmap, this plan, if you like, of how to deal with certain situations, or I suppose it's almost like a standard operating procedures manual almost, which is a really boring way of putting it. However, again, I'm sure you'll know better than I do, Tom, when it comes to onboarding new teammates and, and new colleagues, in terms of the, I suppose, operational drag of a new starter is that your, your, your overall productivity dips because you're having to do a bit more handholding, you're having to do a bit more coaching and mentoring and stuff like that. All of that stuff will continue. But there comes a point when your investment pays off and the new starter is, if they're a salesperson, they go from being cash negative to being a cash generator or if they're operationally, they're starting to add value and increase capacity or whatever it might be. And I suppose the, the magic happens when you're able to reduce that wrap, when you're able to shorten that timescale from when they're properly you know, wet behind the ears through to working autonomously and really creating value within that organization. So if you're able to crunch that time down by having that way of doing things, that must really help. Yeah, it does. And so the onboarding is very intentional as well. And as part of it, it gets scheduled so that a new starter will meet every single person in the team for at least a half hour one-to-one session. As you said, it's an investment of time and effort there, but it just means they are up to speed so much more quickly and they can reach out, engage with whomever across the team because there is the start of a rapport and a relationship because it's been very much planned in from the outset. We definitely believe that's a worthwhile investment. And we talk about collaboration across the team. You can only collaborate if you know what people's different skill sets are and how they operate to understand where they can fit into that. I'm sure there are improvements that we can make to it, but we've taken some really good strides there to make sure that everyone has a strong onboarding experience and they get that range of introductions right from the off. As I say, it's like human bit, isn't it? It's much easier to knock on somebody's door or ping somebody on Teams or whatever it might be. If you have said hello to them, if you had had that initial half an hour with them and you know what they're really good at and where they can help you, it builds that efficiency up within the organization. And certainly post-pandemic as well, as super important as well for remote teams and that they don't lose that. It sounds really cold and calculated, but there's that level of productivity within the organization and that efficiency. If you can save five minutes on a call or finding who to call, all those five minutes add up over the week, over the month, over the year. And that, again, just returns that value back to the organization, back to your charity partners. You mentioned that you're growing quite quickly. You've taken some new people on board. What's your approach to recruitment in terms of finding that right cultural fit? How do you go about recruiting people? What's your process there, Tom? We recruit for different types of roles I'm talking here from a technical skill set perspective. So we have traders for the training part of our business. We've got those that are innovation consultants or engagement leads to run our projects. And then we have our operational support colleagues as well. So there are different roles that we'll recruit for from a technical perspective. But what we do in those role profiles of when we're advertising roles is be very overt about the type of organization we are and what we stand for. So What we try and do is give as much of a look and feel of that from those initial job descriptions or role profiles or any introductions to the organization so that for those who are weighing up a potential opportunity, they've got as much color and context in order to make an informed decision about whether to apply or not. And then when we go into the process, we make sure that the conversation is as focused on culture, fit, mindset as it is on the technical skills. And so what we'll tend to do is have different roles for the interviewers that are quite deliberate on that so that there is someone actually looking at this candidate from a culture and values fit perspective, and then another looking at it from a technical fit perspective against the role. And when we do the reviews or if they're moving to a next stage interview, 
those decisions will be made on the combination of those things. Clearly, we can't have someone who's culturally and values aligned, but actually there isn't a role fit from a technical competence, but also vice versa. And it tends to be that we'll get the technical fit that we'll want, but it will not always be the culture and, and values fit. And so we put equal sway on those two things and say we have different roles in each stage of the interview to make sure that is covered in the right way and what each of us is actually listening for and looking out for there. That's a really clever tactic. And it's difficult, very difficult to do um, if it's just a one person interviewer, I suppose, to, to be able to assess it in both ways. Whereas if you've got two or more, I suppose, without intimidating the candidate, it's a good way of doing it and having sp- specific lookout for the different bits there. It reminds me of a saying that I picked up from doing an event years and years ago where a really successful entrepreneur said, sometimes it's better to have a hole than an arsehole. And it's so true that, again, comes back to the whole cultural part. If they don't align in terms of values, in terms of the culture, then it can be really damaging to an organization and to its team. Yeah. No, completely. The time and investment, we believe, is absolutely worthwhile. The different way of putting it is that it only takes one bad apple and it can really impact the barrel. So we're just very aware of that and so alert to it. Good stuff. And in terms of having such strong cultural values and purpose, the core of 90, what's that like in a leadership capacity, in your dual aspects of your leadership role in the organisation? Because I sense a real deep sense of pride, but also sense quite a lot of responsibility as well. So my question, Tom, is how do you maintain that mindset to lead showing those values and living to that purpose? Yeah. So... Personally, I I look to make sure that I do in what I say and do. So if you like leading by example in that sense, but also be very open to feedback and alternative views as part of that. And I encourage and welcome it and say, please do say if there are missteps or things that happen because yeah, any one of us is fallible. So try and set that so that's a two-way thing. And then to an earlier theme, a lot of it for me is actually about empowerment and nurturing or supporting or creating the environment or just getting out of the way so that people can be the best they can be and can absorb the values and the culture and the way of working that works best for them. We have colleagues that come from corporate backgrounds to something here, which is quite different. Others that are budding entrepreneurs have started run businesses and moved to here. We have recruited those people because of what we've seen and the promise that's there. What we want to do is just help that to nurture and flourish. So often I find my role is to just support, spur on, be there to challenge or to help to frame where it's useful. And then as I say at other times, just get out of the way and let them be the best that they they can. So what I try and do is foster that responsibility that everyone has to uphold the values, that it's not up to a few leaders to demonstrate, show the way, that it's a shared responsibility. And as I say, that there is this shared feedback for both what is good and at times, if there are things that need to be challenged or they don't appear values aligned, then they should be called out as well. A big thank you to Tom Hardcastle for sharing his insights and experience on how innovation in the insurance sector and beyond can create good in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.